You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. In this episode, Lance teaches about how each of us can individually know the Lord as our stability in the midst of shaking and calamity. Let's listen. Now, if you will turn to a very well-known psalm, the 27th psalm. I will read this psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers came upon me to eat up my flesh, even mine adversaries and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, even then will I be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me secretly in his pavilion. In the covert of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me, and I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, O Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Cast me not off, neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine adversaries, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let thy heart take courage. Yea, wait thou for the Lord. Now, in the little time that we have uh, left to us this morning, there, is, there are a few things from this psalm which I believe the Lord would direct our attention to. How wonderful it is that in all times of trouble, we tend to turn to the book of Psalms. 3,000 years old, many of these Psalms, and yet still they speak the language of the heart. And all those of you who've gone through any period of stress or strain or trial, where do you find sometimes your greatest comfort but in the Psalms? And you find that again and again these godly men, and I suppose there must have been some godly women too, Amongst them, they're not mentioned, but either they influenced their husbands or did something. I'm sure they're there somewhere. Um, These godly people, out of their 
trial, out of the difficulties they passed through, uh, they expressed the language of their hearts in faith and in worship and in adoration. And sometimes when things were very, very difficult, uh, they were a good deal more real than many evangelicals. And that's why we turn back to these psalms and find that it is here is the language perhaps the purest language of our own spirits. We find it here in these psalms. And Psalm 27 is no exception. I think you all know that this psalm uh, is written at a period of uh, uh, trouble for the psalmist. You only have to look through the psalm to see that it's the, the background of the psalm is one of trouble. He speaks of fearing, of being afraid, of evildoers eating him up, consuming him, of adversaries and foes. Uh, he speaks of a host encamping against him. He speaks of war rising against him. Later on, he again speaks in the last verses of the psalm, as well as in uh, verse 6, uh, mine enemies, my head be lifted up above mine enemies. In verse uh, 5, in the day of trouble. Farther on in the psalm, he speaks of his mother and father forsaking him. He speaks again of his adversaries and false witnesses and such as breathe out cruelty. The whole atmosphere of the psalm is one of trial and trouble. This psalm was not written uh, in some cozy period of the psalmist's life, some point at which uh, everything was going right. It seems that it was written at a point when everything was going wrong. And therefore it is all the more amazing to read the calm confidence, this language of faith that comes out of the uh, uh, heart of the psalmist. The man is in the crucible of faith. But thank God, something is happening. Something's being purified. Something is being refined. And one of the things the Lord says about the last days is that he will sit over the sons of Levi and purify them as silver is purified. And we are all spiritually Levites. We are all priests unto God. And the Lord's great concern about all of us is that judgment should begin at the house of God. And he is sitting over against us all, purifying us. That means that every circumstance that comes into our life, every problem, every difficulty, every trial, he knows all about it and is using it uh, to do something in us. Now, there are one or two things in this psalm having said all that, that I would just like to underline. Will you notice the amazing and wonderful statement at the very beginning, which lies as a foundation for everything that the psalmist goes on to say. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Not the Lord was my light, and my salvation, nor does he say the Lord will be my light and my salvation. But he says the Lord is my light and my salvation. I wonder if you've yet discovered that stability and the present tense go together in spiritual things. 
until you know that God is, you will never be stable. All the time you think that God was, or God only has, or God will, you will never get that stability. But isn't it amazing that right at this point of war and foes and adversaries and people breathing out cruelty and false witnesses in this day of trouble, he says in the midst of it all, not the Lord will be my light and my salvation, he says the Lord is my light and my salvation. In this present darkness, the Lord is my light. I suggest that that's the language of faith. He could have easily been eclipsed, his light. He could have easily gone into a period of abject gloom and misery. He could have dwelt upon all these enemies, their cruelty, the wickedness of these false witnesses. He could have talked much about whatever he meant by his father and mother forsaking him. He could have dwelt upon all the depressing negative side, but he doesn't. His first statement is the statement of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And he goes on and says again, the Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the strength of my life, or stronghold of my life. He is my fortress, my foundation, my rock, my unshakable rock. He is the strength of my life. He evidently is fearing. No one says, whom shall I fear, who's not fearing. The fact that he has made this statement means that he's known quite a bit of fear. He's been afraid. We should always remember that we are only human beings and it is perfectly natural to us to fear. And it is a wonderful thing that nearly every opening statement the Lord has ever made to his people when he has appeared to them is fear not. Because we always naturally fear. It is our natural reaction. But fear is not wrong as an initial reaction, because we are human beings. But it is what we do with it. Now the psalmist had got a secret about fear. He feared something, but instead of allowing the fear to grip him and inhibit him and bind him and rob him of everything that God had for him, he said, no, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I think it is interesting that once he's discovered that the Lord is, he then says, the Lord will. And that's the right way round. The Lord is, therefore he will. The Lord is my saviour, therefore he will deliver me. The Lord is my life, therefore death will not overcome me. The Lord is my goal, therefore with joy will I look forward to his coming. And because he says the Lord is my light and my salvation, the Lord is the strength of my life, in verse 5 he says, for in the day of trouble he will keep me secretly in his pavilion, in the covert of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me and I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. If everything is only in a kind of wobbly, shaky future, 
you sort of give expression to something that you just hope against hope will come to pass. You're going to be very much at the mercy of the enemy. But if your faith is grounded upon unshakable facts, which you see by faith and receive by faith and experience by faith, then there comes all this, all these other consequences come out of it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. It takes the Lord sometimes a lifetime with some believers, and I'm not sure that he um, gets through, even with some of them, uh, at the end of their life uh, time, to knock out our natural strength and get us to the place where the Lord is the strength of our lives. Oh, what strength of will we have. What strength we have in our natural makeup sometimes. It's amazing. Even people who are as weak as water can be as obstinate as donkeys when it comes to it. And they are their own worst enemies. You know the people who, who sort of crash from problem to problem, from broken matter to broken matter, simply because of the strength of their own will will not ever learn. Doesn't, isn't the Lord gracious with us, the way he leads us? If only we would have let him and we would surrender to him, capitulate to him, the Lord could do this work much more quickly and more easily in many ways. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That was the first thing I just wanted to draw your attention to. It really then is all the Lord. So here is the psalmist's key that really the secret, his secret is Christ. His secret is not a teaching. His secret is not even really an experience. His secret is not a method. It's not a set of doctrines. His secret is the Lord. He has discovered that the Lord is everything. The Lord is light. The Lord is salvation. The Lord is the strength of his life. The Lord is everything. A bit later on we find that the Lord is the temple. <laughs> he says, I want to live in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. And you can translate it two ways. You can translate it either con and consider his temple or inquire in his temple. Consider all the beauties and the glories of the Lord Jesus as expressed in the tabernacle. All the colors, all the materials, all the things, every single part of it speaks of something about him. The Lord. That's the key then. Now the second thing is this one thing. Verse 4. The psalmist has got a great secret here. A double-minded man or woman is unstable in all his or her ways. Have you found that out? These people who've always got two purposes warring. They're always first on one foot, then on the other, then on the other, then on the other. People who've got a war between themselves, between the world and the Lord, between the mammon of unrighteousness and Christ and God. They First one, then the other, then one, then the other. They go, what? down like a seesaw. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In the trials and darkness that is coming, such will be found out. 
We will be found out, all this kind of thing. Here is the psalmist's secret. One thing. One thing. One all-inclusive purpose that governs his whole life and everything to do with it. One thing have I asked, he says, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. His business life was subordinate to it. His family life was subordinate to it. His personal life was subordinate to it. Every single part of his being was subordinate to this one great purpose, one thing. Are you a person of one thing or many things? You know, once we begin to realize that all these things we've all believed uh, 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 um, uh, have believed on for years might shortly come to pass, it is amazing how it finds us out. Some people won't face it. They just won't face it. They just say, oh, this is just for panic talk, panic talk, panic talk. Oh, no, don't face it. It's amazing, even some leaders just will not face it. It reminds me of the foolish virgins, or sometimes whether some of them did that kind of thing. So, There's no need to get panicked about getting an extra store of oil. Plenty of time. And anyway, the worst comes to the worst. <coughs> We'll take it from the others who've got too much anyway. Or sometimes uh, it's not just that, it's, it's simply that we, we can't really, I think, uh, fully face up to the possibility that things we believe might actually happen uh, much more quickly than we thought. It's too painful for us to face the reality. We think of the vainly used time, the way we've frittered away our lives. It's too painful for us to think about it. But one day, whether it's in months, whether it's in years, or whether it's in decades, this thing is going to happen. And I don't know, the Lord's people all have got this queer idea that when it happens, they're all going to get a sort of previous warning years in advance that's going to help them slowly build up to it. Why does the scripture say again and again and again and again and again, be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready, for in an hour that ye think not, it happens. It seems to me that there's only one way you and I can be ready, and that is to be a person of one thing. When we all get gloomy about the prospect, gloomy and depressed and downcast, it's a sure sign that our treasure is not in Christ. We can sing about it, pray about it, talk about it, but if there's gloom written all over our faces, it's perfectly clear um, that uh, uh, our treasure is not in Christ. It's as simple as that. Our treasure is elsewhere, and we're fearful. Because we're fearful of the possibility of those things being injured or destroyed, But if our treasure is in Christ, then not a hair of our head shall perish. That doesn't mean necessarily we shall not die, but what it does mean is this, 
that not one hair of our head will actually perish. It'll all be raised up. Every bit of it. <laughs> if you thought you were going to lose it, fear not, you shall find it at the end. Well, what did the Lord mean about that? He didn't mean that some of us would be raised bald or uh, in that way at all. What he simply meant, were, meant was this, that you in your entirety will not perish. Not a single thing that belongs to you, your personality, your makeup will perish. Don't fear, he says. Now, I was saying to the folks last night in Leicester, um, it's amazing. We have all sort of so, we sing about these hymns about longing to be with the Lord and how we're going to be caught up together with him and, and forever be with him and all these wonderful things that we all enjoy so much, when there comes the slightest possibility of it happening, we all get so gloomy and depressed. What's wrong with us? Well, of course, what's wrong with us is this. Do we really believe the things we believe? When it really comes to it, are we people of one thing? What is this one thing? It seems to me that the doubling purpose of our lives is... Uh, the, the eternal purpose of God himself. One thing have I asked that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is not something extra to the Lord. This house of the Lord, this house of the Lord is the Lord. Someone quoted it in our time of worship earlier when they said, Jesus said about this, but destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. This is the house of the Lord. It is our Lord Jesus. And wonder of wonders, we have been made partakers in him and with him. We have been joined to him. We also are living stones as he is the living stone. We also as living stones are built into a spiritual house in him. Now isn't this wonderful when we begin to see this? Are we people of such one thing? This is not some little side thought of God, but this is something which underlies the whole of creation. Why did he create man? What was his purpose in creating man? Why has the enemy come in like he has? Why has the Lord come in with salvation? It's all to do with this great purpose. What a tragedy to have lived the human life and missed the point. What a tragedy to have even been saved by the grace of God, and still miss the point, finally. Be saved, you'll never lose your salvation, but to have missed the point of your salvation, one thing have I asked. Listen to the words, they come down over the millennia. One thing have I asked, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Dear child of God, New Testament saint, don't let some Old Testament saint get in before you. So they without us are not made perfect. That's what the, Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says. You've got so many more privileges, so many more. You've got the whole of history behind you to look back on. Are you going to let these ones who had only part of it right back in the dim antiquity, get him before you. Here is David speaking. One thing have I asked with all my faults and all my failings, and it's all written in the book, he would say now if he was here. 
One thing I asked, and that I sought after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He'd got the point. And he was human, and he had failings, and he sinned, and all the rest of it, but God, God brought him through. It wasn't just to be saved, and it wasn't just even to be filled with the Spirit. He'd seen that there was some building God was involved in, some spiritual building, something called the home of God, something called the house of God, something called the bride of Christ, something called the city of God. It was this that was at the heart of it all. And so he said, then and therefore, my whole life will be governed by this. When the trials come, you'll be found out. If you're a person of many purposes, the trials that will come will find you out. And you'll dither very much and be torn between all these many objectives you have. But if you're the person of one thing, you will have a steadiness. And then again, notice um, this wonderful uh, uh, thought in verse 5 and 6. I will only touch on it. Covering and worship. These two things go together, you know. Covering and worship. In the covert, in the day of trouble, he will keep me secretly in his pavilion. In the covert of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock. <laughs> it's, only the psalmist could say this because it's a contradiction. First he hides me, then he lifts me up. He hides me in his pavilion, in the cupboard of his tabernacle, and then he lifts me up upon a rock so that my head is lifted up above mine enemies. And then there's an outburst of worship and praise. I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises to the Lord. When is he going to sing? He's going to sing all the way through this day of trouble. Have you found out what it means not just to sort of um, monotonously uh, uh, hum a tune, but have you found out what it really is to sing? Some of these scriptures we're learning, store them in your heart, don't despise them. They may come a day when you have nothing else, and these scriptures will come back into your heart because they're there with a melody. And then you'll be able to sing them. And you'll see much more in these scriptures than you see now, I can promise you that. Uh, you probably only just sing them now just as a scripture, but in that day they will come back to you with an eternal wealth of meaning. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto God. How wonderful that the psalmist has got this clear as well. This Lord that he so loved, this one thing which is mastering him, means that he will be hidden in the day of trouble. He will be found in the covert of his tabernacle, right at the center of God's purpose. And he'll worship there. And then, lastly, there are these last verses from 7 to 14 which are so interesting. Why? Because they seem to be almost different to the first part of the psalm. But these lie behind it. They lie behind it. You see, he says, When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face will I seek. Now the secret to this whole section of the psalm is the last verse, Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let thy heart take courage. Yea, wait thou for the Lord. Do you want to find a secret? Learn patience. Patience 
is the crown of all God's work. You may have patience, it says in Scripture, being made entire, lacking nothing. Oh, but most of us are not patient. We can't wait for the Lord. Once we see something, my, we want to put it into action straight away. And we do sometimes with disastrous consequences. The Lord's work suffers as much from people who see something spiritually and then try to put it into operation as from those who are as blind as bats. The secret is to wait for the Lord. When God shows you something, be sure that you're working with him. Not for him, with him. And this is the secret of this little section. I feel we have something to learn as a company as well as individuals in this matter. When the Lord says something, we should respond. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said, Thy face, O Lord, will I seek. That is the only answer to a command from the Lord. It is amazing to me that sometimes the Lord says something to people and they've forgotten it within a day or two. Have to be reminded. <coughs> something wrong with us if we've got such uh, a, a dull kind of hearing. If the Lord says something to us, do it. You remember when dear Mary, the mother of our Lord, was so, I was going to say flummoxed, so sort of uh, confused when, uh, when the Lord Jesus said to her, what have I to do with thee? Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. She was a bit flummoxed at that point. She'd, after all, only gone to him uh, to get him to do something uh, about the uh, wedding arrangements, which evidently were just at the point of collapsing. And she, quite rightly, thought he was the one person who could do something about it. And she had gone to him to say to him, look, Lord, uh, you know, this and this and this. Uh, but she was rather confused. But she did one thing which I believe reveals the greatness of Mary. Now, most Protestants, of course, uh, uh, we never speak about Mary. We're frightened to death of mentioning her, lest, lest people would suddenly start worshipping her. <laughs> believe me, I've seen where she's supposed to be buried and ascended from, and having been down there, I must say anyone would ascend from that place. <laughs> but uh, we will forget that for a moment and come back to the fact that whatever we may feel about Mary, there was an inner greatness to this person, an, an inner spiritual greatness. And it was, it was revealed in her attitude to her son when he so confused her, and she didn't understand. She turned round to the servants and said, whatsoever he telleth you, do it. That revealed inner greatness. And it seems to me that this is something that you and I have to learn. Whatsoever he tells you, do it. Don't just be hearers of the word and not doers. Hear and do. Be obedient. And of course then when you read right through this psalm, it's wonderful. Verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. We know something about this, perhaps we shall know even more about it in the future. How we need to have this in our heart. Teach me a plain path. Uh, uh, teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. 
how real the psalmist is when he seeks the Lord. There's none of this kind of artificial facade. There's no facade with him. He's very honest. Hide not thy face from me, verse 9. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Cast me not off, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. There's something very real about the psalmist. And it seems to me that if you and I are going to go through times of stress and strain, we need to be real people. The sham and the artificial and the, the facade, all this will collapse sooner or later. It will be found out. We need to be real people. Wait for the Lord and let thy heart take courage. Yea, wait for the Lord. So in your older version it says, wait on the Lord. Uh, but I think it's more correctly wait for the Lord. Don't go before him. Don't go before him. Wait for him. And let your heart take courage. It seems to me that there, at the end of the psalm, you've come back to the beginning. How was it that he discovered that the Lord, that, how was it that he made this discovery about the Lord and was able to say, the Lord is light and my salvation of who, uh, whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid don't you think it was because he waited for the Lord and his heart took courage those that wait for the Lord come make great discoveries great discoveries no one who's ever waited for the Lord has ever regretted it I've met many who didn't wait for the Lord and have deeply regretted it. I've never yet met a person who's waited for the Lord who has regretted it. Shall we pray? Lord, we pray that this Spirit of the psalmist, may Lord be in us too. Oh, Father, may we be a people whose vision is filled with our Lord Jesus Christ. A people who can be called people of one thing. One thing have I asked, that will I seek after. Oh, Father, what a need there is to see the beauty of the Lord and to be transformed into that same image that the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us all. O oh, Father, hear us and use this little time this morning and this psalm to correct us and to encourage us and to strengthen us and to impart something more of life and power to every one of us. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be a person of one thing. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.